The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
greatly to be praised. Yeah. 
Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Pretty much close to a full house. That's outstanding. Great to see that. Um, I believe I was up just a tick over a month ago, about in September sometime, and uh, I left y'all. How many was here that day? How many heard me that day? Good bunch of you. I left you with some homework. Did you do it? Everybody's going, oh, no. Oh, no, I forgot my homework. What was the homework? We talked a whole lot last time about serving, okay, and, how, and different ways to serve. And I encouraged you to go out and find a new way to serve. Even if you're already serving someplace, find something new. Do something different. We'll get back to that here in just a minute. First off, I want to tell you about this young man. He, um, it, th- this story begins in the, in the emergency room. And he, uh, the emergency room doctor's making his rounds and coming around, and he pulls back the curtain, and here sits this young man. And he's sitting there, he's got a big old black eye on him. And he's like, oh, no, I wonder what happened to this guy. So he starts examining him, and he asks him, he said, well, what happened, young man? And he said, well, Doc, you're just not going to believe it. He said, I went to church this morning. Went to church and was sitting there, and it's time to do praise and worship, and we all stood up. He said, and the lady right in front of me stood up and had on this beautiful dress. Beautiful dress. But it was kind of caught up there in her hind end. I just didn't think that looked right, Doc. You know, I didn't want her to look bad or anything else, so I just thought I'd help her out. So I just reached up there and just pulled it out. And she turned around and let me have one like you would not believe, Doc. (laughs) And the dog just shakes his head. So he finishes his examination, doctors him up, sends him on his way. A couple, three months later, doctor's making his rounds again. Pulls back the curtain. Here's the same young man. Except for this time with both black eyes. And he's like, oh, Lord, help this child. What has he done now? So he starts examining him, and he asks him, he said, well, what happened this time? He said, Doc, you're not going to believe it. I went back to church. I sat down in the chair. The same lady came and sat in front of me. And he's like, oh, no, what did he do this time? He said, we stood up to do to sing. And he said, you didn't. He said, oh, no, no, her dress was hanging just fine. It looked beautiful. It was a beautiful dress. But, you know, I knew she wanted it in there, so. Oh, maybe there's all so many different ways to serve, isn't there? You know, maybe that's not the best one way to serve. But, you know, his heart was in the right place, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. We got to laugh a little in church, don't we, and, and, and take things lightly. And, you know, this morning, like last time, I, I talked about serving and I talked about different ways to serve, whether it was opening doors or whether it was helping elderly people in and out or whether it was going down here to Kids Zone and helping or whether it was in Kiwanis or some service club in town or simply if it's just picking up trash. There's all kinds of ways to serve and different places to serve. And I left you with one thing to kind of think about that I'd heard just a couple of days before we started, or before I did that one. And that was I heard a deal that a guy said, take this in mind. Try this out. Finish the sentence. Say, I get to blank versus I got to blank. Which sounds better? Did you try that out this last month? I tried it out a lot. And it made a lot of difference. It really, really does. You know, if you're a person that works down the hall here, if you say, i got to go to Kids Zone. Or do you say, I get to go put God into kids' lives. See the difference? Encourage. I encourage you to do that as we go forth, as we do this. As you do everyday life, instead of saying, i got to go to work, I get to go do something. I get to go do this. Take that. Now then, I'm a, I was going to kind of go a lot more in that direction. I said this was to continue, but God put something else on my mind and on my heart. And I'm going to take this in a little different direction in, as far as service, in a way that you wouldn't really think it is service, but it is. And that is, you know, for those of you that know me, you know that I'm very highly involved in the Junior Livestock Program. Okay? I was raised in it. My kids were raised up in it. I'm still a very instrumental part of it, and I always will be, probably till the day I die, because I believe it's a great program and it's a great way to raise kids. But today I'm going to talk about one particular, you know, bring up a deal, and I'm going to talk about Buster, a big red steer. We're not talking about Little Red Riding Hood here. We're going to talk about the big red cow instead, okay? And it's, it goes back, and it taught me a huge, huge lesson to listen 
and to pay attention and to be patient. You know, Buster here, you see him at the backdrop, and, and Kaylee, my daughter's holding on to him. Kobe's there in the background, too. This was Kaylee's last year to show. She was a freshman in college at this point in time, the last calf that we ever dealt with in, in our family. And we took, took Buster to the state fair, and Buster was the grand champion steer at the New Mexico State Fair. Good way to end a, a long career, a great way to end a career. You know, and we were all excited and, and everything. But, and going along with this, you know, if you're any ways involved with the junior livestock world, you know that there's a junior livestock sale for those higher-placing animals. Okay? Well, Buster being the grand champion steer naturally is in the sale. All right? Now then, let me get to a little bit of the financial end of this deal. If you, usually, if you have the grand champion steer at the New Mexico State Fair, that animal will usually bring somewhere around twenty to $30,000. Okay? On average, give or take. So the way the finances kind of work in this deal, a lot of families take money that they make out of their, what their sale is, and they use it to reinvest for the next year to keep the ball rolling, to keep it going, to help raise their kids. Same time, they're putting a little money aside for college. But a lot of times, it's just money that's reinvested for the coming year. Is typically how a lot of families that are in this do this. Well, this was our last year. There was no more next year. There was no more reinvesting. So every bit of this money, 100% of the money that was fixing to come out of Buster, was fixing to go to her college education. Okay? Scholarship, so to say. So we take Buster over to the sale. Well, at that point in time, there was a gentleman that ran things and got into a higher situation at the state fair that, um, was, I don't know, better like a words, maybe our adversary, our fierce competitor, Okay, we competed against their family a whole lot. Um, and he had got into this role to where he was in charge of the junior livestock sale. We take Buster into the sale ring, Kaylee does, and the auctioneer starts. And he can't even get anybody to give a $3,000 bid. He's doing his everything he can to try to get a bid on this gift. This man had manipulated enough of the buyers around that day to say, don't bid on that animal. Finally, someone did bid 3000 then 4000 then 5000 Those that were bidding were just kind of doing to say, well, if I get it started, it'll, it'll take off. It'll go. It never did. Okay, it sold for $5,000. Meanwhile, the man sitting over there on the side with this, this smirk on his face. Have you ever gotten mad? I mean, just fighting mad. Just, I mean, we're talking some mad you're ready to kill somebody. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I was right then and right there. Because, you know, they could do it to me. They could do it to my parents, whatever, but they did it to my kid. And that's what hurt. But anyway, we take the calf back out of the ring and take him to the backdrop where they usually take pictures and this and that. Well, let me tell you about the man that did buy the steer. This man's name, his name was Malcolm Ramsey, okay? And this man owns all the McDonald's in Almagorda and out on Holloman Air Force Base, okay? So he has the McDonald dealerships down there. And they're also in the show world, and so he was just trying to bid, try to get it going. And he came back to back to He said, Mike, I'm so sorry about what. He said, I said, no, 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 no. I said, thank you for what you did. You didn't have to do anything, but thank you for what you did. You know, and we get the pictures taken. Sale goes on. We leave Albuquerque. We come home. And, I mean, I'm still furious at this man for what he did. Because not only does, you know, that girl standing up there have student loans now. She has to pay off. But he hurt her. He didn't hurt me. But the real ironic thing about this is about a month later, I got to reading an article in the Albuquerque Journal. And it was about the show and the sale and all these good things. And it, listened, it mentioned that steer and, and what he brought. Well, what I didn't know Malcolm did that day is he turned around and he donated the calf to the Ronald McDonald House. Okay? In the, in the article in the paper, the people that were in charge of the Ronald McDonald House stated in there that due to this thankful donation, this took care of their entire meat needs for the next year. Does God work in strange ways? 
I mean, it, it was a deal to work. I just had to stop, sit down, and go, wow. Wow. It was hard to swallow at the time. But it was amazing, amazing story. You know, and you might say, well, what's this have to do with communion? What's this have to do with service? That was an act of service. Okay? It really was. I didn't see it at the time. But, you know, we look at Jesus in the Bible, and, we, and whenever he's in the crucifixion, and, and, I mean, they've got him down. They're beating on him. They're whipping on him. They're tearing him up. What does he do? He just took it, didn't he? Because he knew what the end story was. I didn't know what the end story was going to be at the time. Whenever they crammed that crown down, that, them thorns down on his head, how many of you, whenever they did that to you, how many of y'all would have took a swing at them? I probably would have. I wouldn't have sat there and just took that. He did. And he took it for us. Because he came and he served us and gave us the greatest gift that any person, any one person could give, and that was the gift of salvation. He did all of that amount of service so that me, you, all of us can have salvation. Let's pray. Father God, as I this morning, as always, I praise you and thank you, Father, for your awesome power, your graciousness. Father, I pray for patience, that you give us all patience and that we see the way that you want things done, that we be patient in the way that it comes to be, for we know that you have a plan and we are here but to follow your plan. Thank you for it all, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Sometimes we think we need comfort, but what we really need is courage. Sometimes we want sympathy, but what we're really missing is strength. Sometimes we really want somebody to feel sorry for us when we really need someone to challenge us. We're tired, we're worn out, we're overwhelmed. It doesn't seem to be any hope because it seems like everyone is against us. That's exactly what the Christians of Rome and Alexandria of Bible times were dealing with. That's the cause of the book of Hebrews. They were some Jews, they were some Gentiles they, that had listened to Jesus, that had listened to the teachings of the apostles, and they believed, but it cost them. It cost them their jobs, it cost them their homes, it cost them getting kicked out of the synagogue, some of their families abandoning them, and, and really even the government coming after them. It cost them a lot. You see, they were abused and they were overlooked and they were worn out. Let's be honest, life does that to us anyway, true? And then to have this added factor of the government doing it all to us because of their beliefs, yet they chose to follow and their courage cost them. The book of Hebrews was written to remind us of how great our God is, how great thou art, to remind us of all the things that we're going through, He wants to give us courage. He wants to put courage into us. He wants us to have a bold faith that acts and follows Jesus, but actually a bright future. He's telling you, I don't want you just to survive. I want you to shine for Him. We're basing this in Hebrews chapter 12, so if you join me there, if you're joining us online or on the radio, thanks for being with Central Christian Church today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The Hebrew writer starts out and says, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, by the cloud. These witnesses that are cheering for us. We talked about this last week. The cloud of witnesses from Hebrews chapter 11. All of these people that moved from faith because of what God was doing. And we talked about Abraham. Abraham picked up and moved somewhere. It says he, he flat out says he didn't know where he was going. He trusted God to move with him. And that's, that's why it's so powerful. Bold faith always requires risk. It always requires trust. But when our confidence is in God, then I can go. Even if I don't know what the map says, even if I don't know what the next steps are, even if I don't know where my life is going, I can go with him. See, the writer wants us to have a bright future. He's saying that faith is not just this static thing. Well, I go to church and that's what I do. All right. No, it's never been sit still. It has to move us forward. He sets us up powerfully in verse one, he says, because of all of these cheerleaders, because of all of these people looking to, to be on our side, look at the next phrase. Throw off the weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, I will tell you what the tendency to do is. I, oh, let me rephrase. What my tendency to do, and I did, was I read that as one phrase. I read that as one thing together. And jumped right to the sin part. But he says there are separate things. He says, throw off the things that are hindering us. From the Greek, the word that, that is used, throw off, right there, is actually a Greek compound word, like houseboat. It's two words put together. And what it really means is it, it means lay it down and push it out of the way. Does that make sense? Let me see if I can illustrate this. I got a hunch that most of you have a bowl of candy at home right now that you're claiming is for next Sunday night. Ah, I got some victims right there. All right. You're claiming that's for a well, while. I'm going to give that to the trick or treaters. But it's on the table and you're working 
and you're reading and you're doing your homework and you might reach over there and take one or twelve Snickers and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's your house. But you know it's a problem. And you know it is hindering you. We don't get rid of it. Why don't we get rid of it? Set it on the table and push it out of our reach. Let me ask you this. Do you know what is hindering you? But you're not getting rid of it. Maybe it's those websites you keep going to. Maybe it's that bitterness that you keep hanging on to. I'll never forgive them. Maybe it's that bottle that you keep thinking you'll put it down. In the NIV it says, throw it off. It's not a mild suggestion. It is a direct charge. Get up, take the bowl, and get rid of it. But throw away what, Don? I don't get it. You want me to waste my candy? Throw away the weight. Greek runners and swimmers would train with weights on their body. Some of you runners, some of you cross-country people might have done this. You put ankle weights on and you run. This, uh, Cody's like, uh-uh, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Greek runners and swimmers would do this. That sounds stupid. Uh, I, 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 that sounds like death waiting to happen. But they would put these weights on and they would train. And then when they took them off, they were lighter and they were stronger and they were faster. It says, throw off the things that hinder us. Greek runners were known for running naked. I'm not a big fan. I'm not advocating, all right? But they actually, if you've seen most of the Jesus movies, they're always wearing those robes, right? That's that kind of, that's their... So the, the runners would have to, like, hitch it up and run in a dress, so... Uh, so they just take it off, all off. I'm not saying we need to do that, but they were trying to find ways to run faster. They do that now. Runners these days, they wear light shoes. They wear really uh, light clothing, speedy clothes. You see it really in bicyclists. Bicyclists wear, you know, really tight clothes. The bike is all made out of carbon fiber, so it weighs like, you know, you can lift it with your finger. It's super light. I saw a study this week that said for every extra pound you carry, it adds 1.4 seconds to your mile run. That's my problem. It's not even yours. It's not my, it's mine. Except for I don't run. See, casual runners, we don't care. We, the casual runners don't care. But serious athletes look for every ounce. They look for every way. Let us, in the, in the NIV, strip off Every weight that slows us down. I'm about to say something you're not going to like. It's about time we lost some weight. But I'm not talking the way you think. I'm talking about the things that are weighing us down. Confession time. i got to tell you this. I don't pack for trips very well. Anybody else? Some of you are going to start elbowing your wife. Uh, don't do that, okay? I don't pack very well for trips because... I can't remember when it was. It was like 10 or 15 years ago. I went out of town on a trip. I didn't pack well. I ended up having to go buy socks and underwear because I was out. And this is a problem and it embarrassed me and I'm never going to do that again. So now I get the, you know, hey, we're going to be on four days. So I get four outfits and an extra outfit, right? And then right before I leave, I like throw four more in there just in case, you know, in case I change my mind or the weather's bad or everything. And see, now some of the husbands are like, that's my wife. I'm like, oh, I'm telling you, it's me. Okay, I don't pack well. I pack a bunch of things I don't need, but I might need them. Odds are you carry some things you don't need. A suitcase full of guilt. A knapsack that carries anxiety. A duffel bag of weariness. A backpack full of doubt. An overnight bag full of loneliness. A carry-on that holds all your questions for God. Pretty soon, we're all pulling more than the local skycap. Peter comes along in 1 Peter 5 verse 7 and says, Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. I love this verse. And I've always loved it because of that word cast, you know, throw it way out there. That's probably a fishing term because Peter was a fisherman. He's saying, throw it all out there. Problem. 
If I cast the net out there, I'm trying to pull the net back so I'll catch all the fish. So if I cast my problems out there and I pull them right back, that doesn't do me any good. Turns out it's not a fishing term. It really wasn't a fishing term at all. It's actually a better translation of that word cast would be transfer. Move the weight to him. Let God carry the weight that has been weighing you down. So what is it that you're carrying? The Hebrew writer says, throw off the weight that is holding you back. What is holding you back? I went to find this picture and um, I, I couldn't It happened this summer. The headline said this, roller coaster stuck 200 feet up. It was a headline in the UK's The Guardian this uh, past May. I remember seeing it. I was like, well, I want to use that point. So I Googled roller coaster stuck. That's a fun afternoon right there. The week that this happened, there were five instances in the exact same week of, of roller coasters getting stuck. Uh, in London, in Paris, in Cincinnati, in San Antonio, and in California. One of them got stuck upside down. All right. Ew. Uh, all right. That, that is no fun. But I really wanted this one because there were 22 riders that were stuck just shy of the peak. You see the peak? 235 feet up. For two hours. I mean, now, let's be honest. The whole, how many of you are roller coaster fans? All right. I love it. Love it. Okay. We love the chug, 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 chug. All right. I mean, there's some anxiety. There's some tension. There's some, oh, it's about to get good. And you go, chug, chug, chug. <laughs> and then you're just stuck there for two hours. Oh, my absolute goodness. You're stuck upside down. What would that do to your stomach? What would that do to your life? You're sitting there. You're waiting. You're on edge. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed out. Your anxiety. Folks, that's the definition of anxiety. I, would, uh, I got a heart attack and stroke victims everywhere happening in that. The anxiety that would give us, that is a very powerful example of it. Robert Leahy wrote a book called Anxiety Free in 2010. He said, anxiety is slowing down everyone. This is a statement he made. The average child today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in 1950. Now, this was written in 2010, prior to pandemic. Here are some of the headlines dealing with anxiety this year. Uh, L.A. Times in May of this year. Signs of depression have tripled in the U.S. since the pandemic. This summer, Mental Health Magazine had a cover story called COVID Causes the Greatest Threat to Mental Health Since World War II. And in Forbes this fall, it said one out of every two people is struggling with a mental health issue since COVID-19 began. Anxiety is real and it is everywhere. And I just want to share this as a side note. If you are struggling, if you are thinking of hurting yourself and you are you're confused please talk to someone Franklin shares several times about an organization called to write love on her arms that really reaches out to specifically young women you know young teenagers that that deal with depression deal with with self-harm many of you may have read that the phone numbers all change today October 24th is the new day that that all the phone numbers you have to dial the area code all the time now Five seven five three five six whatever. Um, it doesn't make any big deal when we're calling our cell phone because they're always there anyway. But the reason for that is because a new new number started this morning, October twenty fourth, nine eight eight. Nine eight eight is now the the national suicide hotline. Nine eight eight send. Now we're not exactly sure how fast it is going to be here in the Portales area, but it is coming soon. So just like nine one one, if you're in a bind and you're hurting, talk to somebody. Call somebody. Talk to somebody in our church. Hang out with people and let, let God's words, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word lifts it up. Anxiety and fear are slowing us down. The first century Christians, they lost their homes. Their possessions were seized. They lived as refugees. The writer says, get rid of what is slowing you down. That's what the Hebrew writer says. But you may be here saying, 
I get it, Don. You're talking about throw off everything that bothers you and, and cast your cares to the side and transfer it. You may be sitting here overwhelmed, and these two verses don't seem to help you. I understand, but let me ask you something. What if I really believed that? What if I really believed every word up there, specifically that last line? That the God of all creation, the God that spins planets and breathes life, cares for you. We sang songs this morning. Did you hear the words? My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, in your heart, in your character. Be strong. Be not afraid. For the Lord is soon on His way. You need to remind our souls. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. These are the songs we sing and we declare the greatness of God. And you might be sitting there saying, Don, you don't understand what I am dealing with. Let me ask you this. Have you ever tried praying about your anxiety, your stress, your worries, all your stuff, and you find your, your mind drifting away to all the stuff that you're stressing about, and then your stress goes up? Anybody ever done that? You know, you're like, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to pray. And then I start thinking about all the things I got to get done, and I got to thinking about all these problems that are going on over here. Anybody? And you might sit there and go, Don, this isn't working. I'm listening, but I'm, it's not working. I wonder if that's because we often tell in our prayers, we tell God about our anxiety and our stress. But we don't get around to telling our stress and our anxiety about God. Did you hear that? We don't get around to telling our stress and our anxiety about God. When, look at it this way. When our prayer life is filled with thanksgiving, we are telling our anxiety what is good in our life. It is a proactive way to attack our stress and our worries and our, our fears that are coming down on us. When our prayers are filled with surrender, we're telling our anxiety that God is for us. When our prayers are filled with our prayer list and we're praying for these people and for those people and for those people, our brain is not on our stress. Our brain is concerned with other people and our anxiety is lowered. When our prayers are full of words of adoration, how great thou art, we are telling our anxiety that our God is bigger. Most of us deal with anxiety. And we're trying not to. But we have other things that weigh us down. Most of us believe lies. Do you realize that? We, most of us, believe lies. We don't mean to, but we, we do. Most of us believe, and have heard this statement, if you swallow your chewing gum, <laughs> see? It's going to stay in your system for, there you go, all right. And then you have to go get a colonoscopy, and you're like, oh, no, that doctor's going to see that stuff from junior high in there. Uh, and we all know this from medical profession that everything digests at the same rate. It's all going to go away. But we still believe that. We all believe the lie that if you go swimming less than 30 minutes after you've eaten, you're going to get cramps and die. All right. We, we've all been told that. You know where that comes from? It comes from Boy Scouts, early 1900s. They said 90 minutes, or you know, you'd have cramps. And some of you may have had your your mom said 10 minutes. That means she doesn't love you. Okay, uh, <laughs> just saying, just saying. You know, but it, we debunked that many, many times. Some of you grew up. And you heard the line, if you turn on the dome light in the car at night while you're driving, that you'll get arrested or blinded or, you know, you're gonna, it's going to be bad, right? It's going to be bad. I've used it to turn that off. We're going to get arrested. We're not going to get arrested. Nothing. Now, these are fun and they're no big deal, but there's other lies that weigh us down. Lies like you'll never be good enough. You made too many mistakes. You'll never be able to stop drinking. No one feels like you. No one cares. God couldn't care about you. 
You see, the problem is when we believe those lies, we give them power over us. It's not a big problem where you're talking about chewing gum or swimming after, after eating, but the others... The Hebrew writer is talking to people that are overwhelmed. And he said, I want you to have courage. I want you to have strength. You want to make it in this crazy world? Then throw off the lies. Transfer those things to something that can carry them. And don't carry them anymore. Put your cares on Him because He cares for you. Much of the weight we bear, we were never intended to carry. The fate of the nation, that's not on our backs. That is not what we're called to do. Do I want our country to be free? Absolutely. The weight of all of that does not fall on you and me. The weight of the economy, the weight of the weather, all of these things that are way above us, we don't need to worry about those things. We just got through with this series, American Idols. The idol of control lies to you and tells you if you can control it, if you can manage it, you'll be happy. And you will not. Avicii came out with this song a couple of years ago. I tried carrying the weight of the world, but I only have two hands. Folks, our God is pretty good at being God. Why don't we let him be God? The psychology professor came into class the last day. He required everyone to be there even though it was the last day. Nobody wanted to cut. They wanted to cut class. The class was entitled, A Vital Lesson on the Power of Perspective and Mindset. He walked in, carried a glass of water, raised it above his head, and the question was this, How heavy is this glass of water? That was the whole class. How heavy is this glass of water? And a few of the students started yelling out things from a few ounces to maybe a couple of pounds. And and he let the answers go for a little while. And then he said this, the absolute weight of this glass is irrelevant. It all depends on how long you hold it. Because this was the question. How heavy is this glass? He didn't ask how much it weighed. He said, how heavy is this glass? He said, if I hold this for a minute or two, it's not very heavy. But I hold it for an hour, my arm's going to start to ache. If I hold it for an entire day, my arm is going to cramp. It's probably going to go numb. I'm probably going to drop it and shatter everything. But in each case, the absolute weight of the glass never changed. But the longer I held it, the heavier it felt. Some of you are picking up on the metaphor very quickly. The worries, the anxieties, the stress, the lies that you've been told are weighing you down. A few minutes, nothing drastic happens, but a few hours, you start to feel noticeable pain. You can't do what you planned. You start focusing on them all day, every day, you go numb. And you're not capable of doing anything until you drop them. Friends, our God wants to give courage into you. He wants you to see victories. He wants you to be strong, to stand in His love. You've got to move the weights that are dragging you down to Him, not to you. My fear just won't stand a chance. Your anxiety won't stand a chance. Your your stress, your worries, the lies that are going on in your head don't stand a chance if you put them on Him. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.